there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast, and I'm doing a, a live Sunday uh, episode it's re- been recorded on a Sunday which I definitely don't think I've done before and uh, but it's, it's all good I'm delighted to be talking and introducing Larry Maguire Larry welcome on to uh, the podcast how's it going Rob thanks for the invitation delighted to yeah, yeah we've been kind of teasing this one I think probably from sometime last year and uh, now these things sometimes good things come to those who wait and all of that um, just to let people know I guess we were hoping to do this not only out through a podcast audio, but do a bit of video as well. And we've spent the last 40 minutes trying to to make that happen through Google Hangouts. And I think we looked at YouTube and Facebook and stuff. So uh, I guess a good, safe environment for us to, to experiment around in. But we're going with audio and we'll put the video up afterwards if anyone wants to look at our two faces for 45 minutes or an hour. Fair play to them. Um can't say we didn't There's give them a There's nothing exciting in this background here anyway, except well, for some, some audio um, stuff that I have to stick on the wall. It hasn't managed to get up there yet. <laughs> I was going to say that. That looks like like a, a lot of uh, sound absorption there. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I picked it up on... Um, I, I just, I've just built this... Well, converted this uh, space here. It's, a, it's a, sh- a shed down the end of my garden at home. Right. And I decided about a month ago that uh, I had to get out of the house because... You know, trying to work, it's impossible with kids and mm. wife and all that kind of stuff. So, I just said, right, to hell with it, convert this thing. So I did that in about four weeks, and I'm in now, and it's great because I can close that door, and there's no one bothering me. I, I picked up this stuff on, um, was it Done Deal or Adverts or one of them, okay, and uh, just stick it to the wall. It cost me a hundred quid. I got about maybe twelve meters of it, twelve mm. meters squared. And it's already improved the sound quality in the room. Now, yeah. I'm using a bit of a Mickey Mouse microphone today because my podcast mic is kind of, is acting up. But anyway, it's better than it was. So. Oh, no, I must look on Dundee and stuff. I have a few panels in here and the room I'm in and kind of hadn't made my studio, but circumstances might change a little bit over the next while with a new arrival coming. So I have to, oh, <laughs> to, to move out of this room, I think, at It'll some point. Fun and games then. Yeah, trying to squeeze in podcasts is going to be fun and games after that, but we'll, we'll, we'll endeavour to do it. Uh, so, Larry, look, when we connected last year, I think one of the first things I was probably taken aback by was when I looked on, on you know, some of the content you were creating was the similarities and I suppose the way you're thinking or where I'm coming at certain stuff. Very impressed with your uh, following on on twitter and i think i read an article you put together around that how you built that over over time yeah you know what it's um i, I was interested to see how uh, you you could build a large following with automation tools and stuff mm. so i experimented with a couple of things and the only trouble with using tools to like the ones i use to grow my following on twitter is that the following doesn't tend to be very engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's better, I feel, like you can get caught up in numbers, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and it leads you down the garden path. So it was fine because I like figuring stuff out and getting my hands dirty with technology yeah. and, and that kind of thing. So it was fun in that respect, and it was enjoyable for me to detail that process. But really, uh, that large following, the engagement isn't super but i i do have a group of people that i engage with all the time mm. um, on a regular basis so um 
I suppose there was a benefit in it. It's all just metrics. It's just vanity. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yourself. But, uh, I used a couple of tools to build the following. I didn't pay for the followers. Yeah. But I, not directly. I paid for the tool to mm. allow me find these people and follow them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they followed me and all this kind of stuff. Right. It's, it's kind of, it's kind, look, at, it's, as I said, it's, it's vanity stuff. And I wouldn't recommend anyone do it. I'd say, look, at, do it properly. Engage with people in real time. Yeah. And grow your grow your readership that way because it doesn't really it's not worth it really you know no no absolutely and I think that's one of the interesting things that maybe we can talk a little bit about I think when I read that last year I probably was before I started doing podcasting I was very much just I had my own Twitter account but never really engaged in it and I would have had a negative relationship I guess with social media and kind of piss me off to be honest you know I allowed it to piss me off um most of the time and and then when I kind of put this thing together you're kind of in the vein of Rob of the Green it's not really me so it it feels a bit different to do that but without doubt you're obviously trying to you know get more followers to to hopefully have more people listening to it but then there's that kind of sense of attachment or, or kind of pull to, to, to pull in and I, I think I definitely in the last year have tried a couple of those automation tools and, and then you're kind of sending out stuff that's just for the sake of sending it out and you kind of then again it doesn't feel right so I kind of back off and just I read I read somebody's comment recently how cool it would be to have like a, a social platform where you can't like something or you can't necessarily comment or follow so that there's they're not people aren't putting it out just for likes and follows and comments they're just putting it out there for value and that's that's where i'm trying to go yeah you know what um what drives social media from my perspective as far as i'm concerned from what i've seen is uh large corporate interests uh, with a focus on numbers and they know numbers equals revenues they know that people, they know that businesses and, and individuals chase following and they're trying desperately to get their message out in a very overcrowded space uh, and they're willing to pay for it. And Facebook is a prime example of that. And uh, they want they want monthly users. They want to build the metrics up so as to convince advertisers, hey, look, here's where you can get a broader reach. And it's like, really, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's the right route. Um these days, I'm more focused on writing stuff and trying to create something that is is meaningful and, and first and foremost meaningful for me because if I'm not engaged in the stuff that I write, if it doesn't interest me, well then how the hell am I going to interest anybody else? Mm-hmm. If I'm not if I'm not passionate about it and and if I'm not uh, if I don't have the proper intent when I hit publish on an article or whatever else it is, well, uh, what's the what's the point? Because you don't really get anywhere. That's my philosophy these days Rob mm. you know yeah 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 and I think to that point if you're not learning and benefiting from putting that together yourself you will quickly lose interest in it and, and just stop yeah, you know absolutely yeah and being there too I've, I've been down a couple of different roads in terms of content and the stuff that I was writing and I've tried writing stuff uh, in different areas that hasn't worked because of that very reason just I wasn't engaged in it you know it didn't mm. light my fire, so how could it light yours or anybody else's? You know. Yeah, interested in one of the things I read on your bio. I think about being a perfectionist, or, or almost. Talk to me a yeah, bit about slight, that. Slight perfectionist. <laughs> slight yeah. perfectionist. I, I'm fascinated about that because I have a strong views about perfectionism 
uh, but yeah. but I'd like to hear yours. Well, this, this, you can look at it in two respects, I believe. You know, you can be a perfectionist and understand you never get perfection, or you can be a perfectionist and get uptight that you're never reaching perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, this, they're completely two ends of the same stick, but it's uh, there's an important distinction. If you're if if you're a creative individual and you're making stuff, I don't. It doesn't matter what it is. You could be a writer. You could be a podcaster. You could be a video videographer. You could be a a coach you could be a, a, a whatever if if you're going if you're in it for the sake of it and you're doing it with an intense passion for the work mm-hmm. and through that i think invariably you're going to get better at it you're going to improve because you're always seeking to kind of as you said right your one percent better podcast is it's a it's mm-hmm. it's a great name and it and it encapsulates this idea that you immerse yourself in the task of doing whatever it is you're doing and by virtue of that you become better mm-hmm. um, and understand that perfection can never be reached and, and that's okay uh, if you try to create something perfect you're never going to be in a position to publish it or, or let it go or get it out there and you're just going to kill yourself in the process nothing is ever going to be right no one is ever going to be able to do anything uh, that meets your standards not even yourself yeah. and uh, it's just it's a hiding to nowhere so I think to be a creative individual, artist, business person, whatever, you've got to be able to make the thing and let it go and understand that maybe tomorrow you have an opportunity to to, to uh, maybe get feedback from what you've done and do it better. Um, it's like uh, Anders Ericsson, the, uh, he's a famous uh, psychologist who's researched um, the development of expertise uh, and he coined the term deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's about gaining feedback from uh, your efforts and then tweaking what it is you're doing. Uh, although in reference to his material, it, 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 the scientists, in my opinion, they tend to uh, want to formulate everything and, and some things you cannot ultimately formulate. you got to just roll with it and, and improve it as you go, you know, on the fly. Mm. It's a moving target. Perfection yeah. is a moving target and you can never you can never reach it and that's all right, you know. Yeah. The deliberate practice piece, very interesting. I was doing a presentation to a group of kind of potential leaders at, at work last week. And for me, practice is, is very, very important. And I talked a bit about deliberate practice. And when I was doing the research, there's obviously a lot of pros around de- deliberate practice. But then they talk about the value of unstructured practice in some ways as well. Mm-hmm. Like for everything, there's a counter argument. You Absolutely. Know? And a valid one too. Yeah. We've got a book here. If you haven't checked it out. Uh, it's called Play mm. by uh, Stuart Brown. And there's a video, he did a TED Talk um, about play and the importance of play in work and whatever it is we're doing. Mm. And I suppose it's, um, I think that's as, as important as, you know, uh, focused, deliberate practice and, and, you know, highly intent on, on on getting the best out of yourself right now. But also, as like you said, to be able to play with it as well and be loose and, and allow it to just flow and come and go i think there's a time and a place for both you know mm, very true the perfectionist piece though when did you get to the point of realizing that it's okay that you, you it's a moving target were you always uh, grappling with that or was there a point Conflicts. in your life yeah yeah, yeah actually um i've just been just today i've been working on uh chapter one of the book uh, the artist manifesto and i was i was refining a piece on that subject you know uh, a section of the the chapter on that subject and um i suppose it, it like I've, I've always been in conflict with myself and other people 
who worked for me, um, whether they were subcontractors or whether they were direct employees or whatever, I was always in conflict with people because they weren't up to scratch, you know? Mm. And I suppose uh, some of that was due to the fact that I wasn't willing to give people the space to be whatever they were and to be able to do the work to whatever standard they were capable. And and that can just pull you asunder, you know? Mm. So although I'm still, um, I work alone these days and I, and I, I, I do collaborate. So we're collaborating now, Yeah. but, um, uh, I, I, I suppose I'm very difficult to work with. Like, and I'd, I'd admit that. And my wife, my wife will admit it on my behalf. I, I'm, I can be very difficult. And, uh, because, it's like when I get when I get something, when I have ownership of something, I've I've got to do it to a particular standard. It mightn't be up to everybody's level, but I've got a level, and uh, I, I get very ratty and irritable when there's people who are working with me who can't or won't come up to that level. And I, that might sound arrogant, but I can't say it any other way, you know. But I've I've learned, I suppose, in the past that uh, from past experience that it, it's unreasonable, um, and you never really get anywhere such you just kill yourself but hmm. i'm still I'm, i still regard myself as a bit of a perfectionist but i'm i'm happy to accept that i'm never going to really achieve that you know ultimate level you know hmm. i think i think it's it's an impossibility <laughs> no absolutely i don't believe in, in ever reaching that but what, what kind of comes up for me there when you talk about that and i suppose that standard of the bar being set so high for for others i always think of roy Keane when when this comes up you know that he, he yeah. had such a high bar and and then when he's managing people they're never going to reach that but emotional intelligence is something i'm fascinated about do a lot of reading about it i actually have now that we're, we're showing books and stuff here i have daniel goldman stuff there that i, I talked about last yeah. week on the, on the podcast um session i did for the international podcast day but impulse control is one of the the kind of characteristics or components there and it just mm. triggered when you mentioned that is that something you're you've you've become more aware of and, and have developed a better control around that i think so um it takes it takes practice and and it's like you're kind of a rat caught in the corner mm. uh you can push yourself in into that space where you know, just total resistance and, and total discomfort with the situation that you've no option but to to give up almost um yeah that mindset might sound defeatist, but it's it's not. Uh, you've got to be able to manage your own emotional reaction. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you if you feel in the moment, like if you feel an emotional reaction rising in you, and mm. it's it's an outburst. Uh, well, I think there's merit in allowing that because if you don't, and you continually suppress that, it's going to come out somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you're, it's already too late if you're if you're in that place where you feel like you're going to explode you know mm. uh it's too late so i think maybe there's a little bit of work to do beforehand um on yourself before you're capable of recognizing it before it hits you know mm. yeah and and again as we have these conversations all stuff comes up for me and i think for, for me it's it's that ability to notice this feeling coming along this person is whomever that might be causing me to feel uncomfortable ultimately they're not causing me to feel uncomfortable i'm just reacting to that how you notice it and have you developed tools or any approaches for for kind of that um i I can't really explain it other than uh you tend to see it um you you tend to see it earlier Mm. um 
but also, and I was writing about this again, this this again today. Um, Carl Jung talks about the shadow side of our personality, and for everyone, there is a duality, uh, almost a split in consciousness. It's almost like it has two ends. You know, you have the the happy go lucky side, you have the content side, the calm side, but you also have the other side. And okay, we have our triggers. There are things that that get that get to us, but. Um, if we if we suppress those parts, well then we're gonna we're gonna suffer at some stage. So, um, I mean, the, I think they can't be controlled. Uh, it just it just comes with experience, and actually, you know, you have to lose the plot before you before you're able to control it. You know, mm. I think you know. Interesting, cool. So, creativity. You're an artist. You're a digital creative psychologist. You, you know all of these things that are very much fascinating if amateur uh, amateur amateur psychologist <laughs> amateur uh, well i think we're all amateur in lots of ways um but when you were and i know i don't want to go back in time too much but were you all of these things when you were 16 years of age or growing up or were you the antithesis or somewhere in between um you know it's funny that the, I, I what i currently identify as me only probably uh began when I was around 15 or 16 when I entered into the workforce and left school and mm. started started working um, so I think it's something that's just developed over time I was always a bit of a pain in the ass uh, on football teams and uh, and uh, and in work just insistent on, on doing on doing the best I could and uh, sometimes that kind of got under people's skin a little bit um, so my son has come into me here with something what have you got Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, so he's heading out with his buddies. He sends me a note. Okay, he sends me a note. I'm going. I'm going out. So. Very cool. Um, where was it? Yeah. So um, it's just something that uh, I suppose that that aspect. I don't know where it came from. I couldn't tell you. Um, but it, it's been there for a long time. Um. I probably lost the question a little bit there again. But no, but when you were, I guess, again, reading, you, you kind of, you were, you left school, you were working kind of in in construction, was that the area you were in? Yeah. I suppose yeah. that was probably not absolute creativity and, and no. following your dream in there, but, but that stuff was always in the background or did, yeah. did it kind of yeah. emerge more? Yeah, well, I, I suppose I was drawn when I was a kid and then I gave it up and then I took it up again. I kind of draw intermittently. Mm. Um, uh, I, a, I, I go for a large format charcoal so I must get back into it but I've just been too busy writing and that's kind of where my creative energy is going at the minute but uh, I suppose it was I always wanted to I always wanted to do I always felt that there was merit in doing the job to the best of my ability when I'd recognize when I'd see fellas around me who just do shitty work and it was like I just sorry I can't do I can't do that no it's not mm. in me and I don't know, it's probably part, I inherited from my parents or whatever, you know. It's just, I suppose, work ethic um, was there. Not that you'd run yourself into the ground, but mm. just that you gave a shit about the quality that you carried out your work to, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that's that can be applied across, no matter what you do, whether you, whether you write or you draw or you, or you sweep the streets or you do accounts for a living, whatever it is, I think... People can get lost in the utility of their job, you know, mm-hmm. and and the day to day, almost mundane, uh, putting caps on widgets. Um, 
and and forget about themselves and and the importance of being in, engaged in the thing, you know, for its inherent enjoyment. And maybe a lot of people don't have that opportunity because the virtue of the work that they do or they've they've fallen into. But I think it's vital um, for us to have happiness and fulfilment in our in our work. Is that you know just become for it to be a passion for it to be something that we love to do for its own sake um it has to be there we're just we're wasting our time otherwise you know and I, and I think that's always been there with me i just didn't recognize it as that mm. uh for a long time but uh that's kind of it's kind of where how i feel about it you know yeah and i guess again just to kind of flash forward a little bit around 20 2010 or so that's kind of really at a point where you had to to make a change, and that's probably when was that when you started to to go more towards the the passion and and this work. Um, yeah, I suppose it was uh, it was it was less of a division um around that time. The the the, the bust came around two thousand eight two thousand nine. Mm. I limped along with the business for a while, but realised that I had to shut it down, and that was a that was a huge blow because I I had invested a lot in myself. Uh, and who, who I thought I was in the in the business. So when that failed, uh, it was it was like, who the fuck am I anymore? You know what I mean? And mm. uh, I, I know I'm not alone. I'm sorry for cursing, but sorry. Uh, that's that's how it felt. And I know um, cer- I'm certainly not alone in that. There was a lot of people at the time who uh, who experienced similar things. Um, so I suppose then I entered into a period of reflection for about maybe three years, mm. and uh, I've you know, messed about with a few things and experimented with a few things. But ultimately it was just kind of like, uh, without me being consciously aware, I was giving myself the space to kind of suss things out or for things to be sussed out on their own. So, um, shortly after that, uh, I decided that I need to do something about the, the, the financial situation. So I got a job, I took a job and, uh, for the first time in about 20 years. Uh, and, um, that was okay. Paid the bills, but again, it was kind of like the next step in realizing, well, well, this isn't—I can't affect any change here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this organization is set in its ways, and it certainly wasn't—it it wasn't in line with my uh, uh, values. So I said, right, lads, you're welcome to it, and I got out. Right, and then then I started working myself again and a few bob, and I, at the same time I was writing, and really, although I love the work that I do, we love what's love, but I. The, the work that I do engages me and I get great value from it. Um, I like to think I bring a bit of value too, but uh, it allows me have the financial resources to do this, to write and to produce material. And that's where, that's where I really, uh, hopefully you can, I can turn that around. I'm, I'm a, with, with the benefit of experience of dropping what I was doing before and trying something new without having a backup, uh, realizing now that I should stay engaged in the work um, using that to, fund this activity that really where my energy is which is study and writing mm-hmm. so just in the middle of a, a degree at the minute in psychology at uh, dvs so uh, i intend to take that through into masters and, and who knows where after that and continue to write mm. so it's all it's all uh, it's all a benefit you know yeah i think it's amazing though i, I would imagine obviously from talking to you and the passion around human behavior and psychology you're effectively turning a a passion and a hobby into 
getting a master's out of that and potentially a phd and things like that i i found that for me when i did coaching a diploma in coaching i was like i'm reading all of these books anyway and now i just have to do a few assignments around it and practice yeah. it a bit more and i'm, I'm yeah. qualified in it it's almost like somebody that's like cheating or something like that that it's yeah it's, it, it's it's really enjoyable like i, I love the material and i i've always been interested in um you know what makes me me um and uh the fact that i'm studying this now and i'm writing about it, it, it definitely it's definitely coming together um and and there's there's a career in that for me whatever way i, I take it whether i continue to write or whether i whether i practice um, in a clinical setting or whatever who knows hmm. uh, i love sport and i'll probably do something on the sport side of sport so we'll see how that goes you know? very good you mentioned values and uh something i'm very passionate about once i identified my own core set uh, very much use them to make decisions and and to guide me have you an approach or had did you develop an approach to identify your own core values um it, it kind of it, it kind of happened on its own um around the beginning of 2017 i began to uh, write again i'd stopped for a while and what began to flesh itself out was uh was a particular idea about work and this is just how i formulate my own uh values as you put it around uh what we do um and why we do it and what's important um and i'm i that first of all became a short pdf about 30 pages called the artist manifesto mm -hmm. and artists being everybody because like i believe i know some people with narrow views would say well a guy painting a wall or, or, or a bloke bending pipe or plumbing in a sink isn't an artist but that's a narrow perspective because art in work for me means caring so much about what you do that you're willing to to even do even if it meant doing it for nothing you'd be willing to do it mm -hmm. or, or at least if you're in doing it in exchange for cash from someone that you care enough to do better than you did yesterday mm -hmm. because just too many people um, lost in, like I said earlier, this utility, this kind of, I oh, just have to get through today, you know, looking forward to Friday and dreading Monday. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was there as well. So um, that philosophy now is, I'm fleshing that out um, further in the paperback of the Artist Manifesto. And it's a creative philosophy for life and work. And that's where my uh, values um, lie in, in that document. So if no one ever reads it, it, it's still fulfilling for me to put that down and share this idea. I mean, it's not unique. There's, lots of people have spoken about this stuff before mm -hmm. in different ways and similar ways. But um, if I leave my kids anything, it's it's this book. And hopefully it'll mean something to them, if, <laughs> if at all, you know. Yeah. And I think the, the point you made about it not being unique is very interesting, right? So what, what we're doing here, the questions I'm probably asking you, aren't unique uh and but it doesn't mean it's not of value to somebody else listening and, and that's kind of something i grapple with a bit early on doing this is that you know the podcast and the ideas are hodgepodge of, of other podcasts and other ideas and try to put your own spin in it but as long as you're bringing your own passion to it and your own authentic yeah. you know that that's that's it so so that's important and i think that obviously would go the same way for for the artist manifesto i, I would imagine so you said it started out as a 30 page pdf or obviously probably started out as a, a brainstorming page but yeah 
how has it evolved? Talk to me about the, the process of even putting all that together. I'm fascinated. Well, you know, I have to give a, a, a significant degree of credit to uh, a writer, an American writer, Jeff Goins, um, because I was reading his stuff. Uh, I was getting his stuff on his list and whatever. I was reading his material. And then uh, he had a document uh, called, the I think it was the Writer's Manifesto. Okay. I'm not certain of the title. So I read it and I thought, right, this is, and he was encouraging for, for us to write our own. So I said, right, well, this sounds like a good idea. Um, how, how can I go about this? So I started to research and I found a lot of stuff on manifestos and they were all very short documents, but they were very uh, to the point. And I thought, right, well, this is an interesting way. I, I can use this to kind of outline my own philosophy for work because my whole idea around it was, was becoming clearer. So I did, um, and uh, who was it? what other stuff did I read? Uh, um, there's a I think she's a, a Czech artist uh, Abramovich Abra Abramovich. Um, I can't remember her first name. Um, I found her manifesto, or at least a reference to it, and I began to read. I think it's it's available online in a PDF. So I read it. I said, Gee, a lot of this is the same stuff that I'm feeling, that, yeah. that I regard as important. And mm. here's this lady who's world-renowned uh, performance artist talking about this stuff. So it's not crap, you know, because you do have that kind of inner uh, conflict and dialogue with yourself. Oh, this is rubbish. This is, what if this is rubbish? And uh, people think I'm in Egypt for putting this stuff out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody feels that way about something when they enter into a forest, you yeah, know. yeah. Or a new endeavor, so it began to it began to uh, have credence for me then that I could actually put this together, and it would even if it meant only something to me, well then, um, that's that's enough. But then I started pinging it out there, and people start emailing me and that kind of stuff, and saying this is great, you you you, this is how I feel, you're speaking me language, da da da. I'm going, jeez, this this obviously. And some of the stuff coming back from people even on Twitter or emails I was getting it was very encouraging. Mm. So I knew that I was onto something uh, important. Now, and like you said, this stuff has been said before, but um, it's it's maybe it hasn't been said exactly how I'm saying or how you you say your thing. Mm -hmm. And you might reach somebody that wouldn't otherwise have been reached by previous material that you're uh, breaking it down and putting it in a new way that someone else can hear. And not everybody hears and reads and sees in the same way. So I think if you're inspired to do something uh, creative like this, formulate a message and get it out there, well, then you should do it and, and uh, just um, see what happens, you know. Mm. And it's continually evolving, is it, Larry? Like it's, do, you yeah. do you see this as something that will never be done? I, I don't think it will ever be done because it's like, look at, look at scientific research Uh it just, it's continually developing and evolving. There's fields of study um, arising in, in in science every other day where people are just, like, creativity is what I'm really interested in and performance and uh, what what is creativity. Um, that's really where my focus is at the moment and, and developing expertise within a particular domain uh, and, and more specifically, um, uh, what I'm looking at now, uh, taking further into a thesis next year, is uh, why do people, not necessarily why do people, I haven't formulated the actual question or the hypothesis yet, but the question in my mind right now is why do people uh, dislike their work and why are people so disconnected and 
from their work and why um, perhaps are they so determined to get away from it and why do they feel so such relief when they are away from it and why do they dread going back because a lot of people feel that way mm-hmm. they look forward to weekends and they look forward to holidays when they can be free of it and they, they go to work and they, they get into the, the, the rush hour traffic and they leave their kids with child minors and stuff and and, and, and I think fundamentally they're uh, quite dissatisfied with that even unhappy to some extent mm. and uh, why do we do that like, that's my big question I ran a, a very unscientific poll on Facebook <laughs> uh, recently just to kind of explore yeah. you know how people feel now and I know the question itself and the results are shown on the poll they influence how people vote and stuff but um, I think 150 something people have voted on the poll it was, it was one question uh, one question and it was how do you feel about your work and there were two options uh one option was I do it for free, and the second option was uh, uh, um, uh, I do it for free, and uh, some some variation of I, I don't I I don't like my work, some variation like that. Yeah. And overwhelmingly, I think like eighty five percent people chose the negative uh, feeling about their work as opposed to the positive. So I'm kind of going right. Maybe there's something in this that I can explore, and I think there is. Uh, uh, I th- I think that. Uh, I think it's it's at the basis of how we work is so fundamental to human life. It's such a large part of what we do. Um, why are we not overjoyed to get to work? You know, and why are we if we're not? Why are we doing? Why aren't we doing something that we enjoy? You know. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a big question in my mind at the minute. Yeah, I think I voted on it as well. By oh, the way, did you? yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I'm not telling you the answer though. Sure. Um, part of me thinks though sometimes people have a fixed mindset right towards i don't like my job and they just have made that determination and conclusion when if they had the ability to step back and well you know break it down a little bit and it's not an all or nothing then and they can they can change how they feel about what they're doing and and maybe make it more enjoyable and whatnot rather than say right i have to leave this career because my passion is pilates and that's where i'm gonna be happy but not necessarily the case i read a great book last year called uh it was an audible actually uh so good they can't ignore you i think the guy cal newport and it talks about passion and um combining your passion and your skills and trying to find something in the middle that you know you can still earn a living on and and still enjoy but what's your thoughts on that do you think people just go in and they just listen to their other person who's complaining about their job and don't maybe decide for themselves. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it. Uh, Well, I think first off, we kind of, we don't, we enter into the workforce um, out of uh, an automatic, nearly automatic, you know, response to how we're taught and how we think we need to behave. and, and, And this work, this thing called work, so defined uh, it's like we're continually dangled a carrot uh, and I think that can have an effect on our approach to work um, there's very I think there's very few of us that actually uh, are so engaged in work that uh, we'd nearly do it for free um, not that you should I think everybody should get paid uh, rewarded for the work that they do um, but if money was wasn't an, wasn't an issue, if money wasn't 
a requirement if your financial needs were met mm. um i wonder would we still do what we do you know but yeah. you're, i think you're right that a lot of it is our attitude and how like if you felt crap about the work that you do today and you said to hell with this i'm gone i'm getting out of this and you left it with a, with a negative uh, feeling um chances are you're going to take that negative feeling with you and it won't be long before something else that you take up will got follow the same road mm. so i think i think we've got to make peace with our work and find a way to like if we really would love to be uh, a painter or or a writer well then we should start that and find a way to ease out of one thing and into the other but how we see work is, is a big thing, you know, whereas the psychological construct almost that we have around work versus play. When we leave work, we tend to engage in kind of frivolous stuff like watching the telly and uh, going to the bar, going to the pub or, or, or other stuff that really is not engaging our minds, you know. And I think that has a lot to do. We think we have, you see, we're sold this thing that uh, uh, if you buy this thing or you or you, you drink this drink, you wear these shoes, well, then life will be better. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of messed up idea about, you know, we, we don't like the work that we do, and then there's this stuff over here that's promising, promising us all this happiness if we just buy it. Mm-hmm. And you get caught in that loop, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Here's another child in now. What can I do for you? I'll be in in five minutes. Good girl. Uh, we don't want to keep them uh, from their from their daddy on a Sunday, but, all, no. but no, no, uh, fascinating. I, I think with with the children popping in there, uh, I did want to ask you maybe your perspective on on school and education. Do you have a uh, strong views on how? Oh, uh, listen, <laughs> that another podcast. We we'll leave that for another day. That might be a whole other topic, but um, school is such a so regimented in terms of uh, you've got this set of subjects, and mm. if you're good at them, but then you're you're on a winner. That's what they'll tell you. That's the underlying narrative. You know, if you score well, you'll do well, you know, mm-hmm. in life. Life is going to be good for you. And that's that's a lie. Um, uh, and if you don't do well, well, then you, you're kind of screwed. You're going to have to do some menial crap in order to make a basic wage, a basic living. And really, you're not necessarily up to scratch. And I'll give you a personal example. Uh, uh, my son uh, was having some trouble with spellings. Um, in school and uh, the system because he wasn't particularly up to the level in school with spellings the system said okay well you've got to have this support um, to improve your spelling so the scenario is you get a couple of kids who maybe who are not up to scratch who are not getting 15 out of 20 they're maybe getting 10 out of 20 or 8 out of 20 on a weekly basis on their spellings and they have to leave the classroom and go to a support class uh, so straight away, there's a negative connotation associated with it because here's the group that I'm in, here's my class, and here's my group of friends, and I'm and this fella and this other fella over here, we're singled out and we have to leave because we're not good enough. Uh, and I had a, a lengthy conversation with my son about it, and he got upset, and he said, and he told me that he feels that he's not up to scratch. Now, I didn't give him that up to scratch title. Mm. But he obviously felt it. He picked it up from somewhere. Mm. Um, somebody said it to him, or maybe the kids said it to him. Maybe I don't know where he got it from. But his feeling was, I have to leave this classroom because uh, I, I'm i not capable. I don't. I want to belong here with this group because that's where my friends are, but I, can't, but I don't. For some reason, I'm not scratched. So I don't believe that. 
any benefit that can be afforded kids through uh, supportive learning structures within schools are actually going to bring the benefit because their self-esteem is already damaged. Mm. And we saw little or no improvement in his ability to spell. And we decided to uh, take it on ourselves. So I had a lengthy chat with him trying to build his self-confidence up. It was, uh, And I didn't know whether it was going to make any impact. Mm. But we, we developed a little tool and he practiced a little tool. And for the last four weeks, he's been getting uh, 14, 15 out of uh, 20 in his spellings. Mm. And I'm not kidding you. The kid is just alive. He's he's so bright in the face. He feels that he's uh, that he's better than he was, that somehow he has, like, he's a, just a different kid. Um, and I think it's important for us to, to realize that in our effort to help kids in school develop and become uh, proficient at these boxed in set of uh, uh, subjects that we give them that there's a danger that we single them out for not being good enough and I think that's problematic and even when I was a kid when I was a kid in school and you'd see kids leaving to go to a learning support class your your idea was they're different to us they're not up to scratch they're the dummies you know Mm. and this is a problem Um, but I think that the kids are so so highly skilled in so many areas that the, the limited uh, subject matter that kids learn in school just doesn't give every kid a chance. It might give most kids a reasonable chance. And from an economic perspective, from the perspective of uh, the broader economy, uh, it creates workers for the system. Yeah. But it doesn't do any favors for kids who are not proficient in those skills. Mm. Uh, they have to go to uh, other schools outside the area, outside the, where they live, to find a school. That creates a host of other problems. I think the education system is certainly getting better, but it has a long way to go. And uh, I think, I think um, probably the, the the biggest leap it must take, and I know it's probably heading this way, is to remove itself completely from um, its religious ties, because that's that's completely flawed. Uh, that's a flawed connect. It doesn't promote anything beneficial, in my view. Yeah. But. Um, Anyway, that's my view on it, Rob. Okay, no, no, it's good, good to hear. And I didn't intend on talking about schools on this, but that's, as I yeah. said, that's the beauty of, of the kind of randomness that ties, comes up. It ties in, it ties in absolutely to career because what you learn in school, the systems are there, and then it's a continue, continuous growth of the individual through learning. Um, and if we limit the, the 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 subject matter that kids are exposed to, well, then suddenly they enter into secondary, into into college life, and they they don't they haven't really had a chance to explore the skills that they want to because really if you're going to be a writer or play music or or whatever in the artistic any of the artistic domains mm. chance like society tells you this sorry kid you're not really going to make a living at that you know what I mean mm. and it takes a strong kid to stick with it and even stronger parents to believe they have the capabilities to uh, become something yeah yeah uh, you know. You know, and and again, like I probably could talk for a good while about my views on some of this, uh, you know, but I, I won't today. But um, but yeah, definitely interesting perspective on on that. Um, just a couple of quick ones before we wrap up, uh, Larry, because I know you you do want to get over to to the kids and play as well. And this has been very interesting, though. Thank you for for taking the time. As I said, we can certainly always connect in the future again. There was a couple of um items that I wanted to touch on. That you, I think you, you, you share your experiences on. One was around how to develop mental toughness, 
um i guess in the nature and the spirit of the podcast of, of sharing tips to to make people better that's one mm. you've wrote, wrote on what, what would you kind of say are, are key traits or things that you would have to do to develop that i think um i think you've got to stick your neck out take a chance um i think you've got to put yourself in places where you're uncomfortable um in order to do anything for your own self well okay there's a certain degree to which you can go if you push yourself too far and expect too much of yourself and you fail it can have a detrimental effect but i think steady as she goes little increments of challenges uh, on a daily basis one percent yeah. uh, make all the difference and if you just continually ask yourself like if you have a problem speaking in front of people uh well then maybe you can join the likes of toastmasters right and in a, in a safe environment practice that um and that's putting yourself out a little bit um, it, ha- it can have a huge effect on your self-confidence in a positive way if you do that rather than just saying right i've got to go out and, and speak to people i'm going to get a speaking engagement and then you go to your speaking engagements and you bomb um i've been there i don't know maybe whether you have absolutely but it, it's it's a horrible place to be and yeah. it's not to say that that there's no benefit in that there is benefit in in getting a getting a big slap across the face but you've got to be able to take it in in proper light and understand that okay i've got work to do so okay what's what's just what's a little step forward i can take today that's still a challenge but um will help me develop a little bit here so um just test yourself just don't be afraid to test yourself you know and i know it's easy to say that because not everybody has the same perspective and you don't know people's life history and learning history and you don't know the 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 family environment in which they grew up they might be fundamentally uh dealing with a dealing with a, a, a traumatic incident that is affecting their self-esteem and self-confidence take a lot more than just going out there and testing yourself a little bit on something like public speaking to to rectify that so i think it's it's important that we recognize that um, if we are um, challenged in some way in regard to self-esteem or whatever, that uh, maybe professional help is the right way to go. But certainly um, testing yourself a little bit every day is bound to help, you know, build that mental toughness uh, that you need. To, but then again, it's like, right, need need to achieve what? What do I want to achieve? Um, like, uh, what is achievement? I mean, a lot of us, uh, are probably guilty of setting our sights um, based on other people's ideas of what success is and uh, it's unrealistic um, I think engagement in something that, you, that you're that you really passionate about is important because uh, if you're passionate about it it'll tend to pull you um, pull you along rather than you continually seeking motivation from other people or other sources mm. to keep you going you know yeah. um, that'll just it's, it never works that way. Yeah, I don't know if that's helpful. I don't it, know. Yeah, no, it is. I think what it, what it stands out for me is that it's a it's a one question, but it's part of a bigger question because to developmental toughness, you probably need to have a clear vision of where you want to go or what your tar- target is or, or where you want to get to, and then you can kind of develop a a process mm-hmm. to get there. So answering it in its own is probably good, but the bigger picture can probably tie it all together there as well. Is there anything you've learned about yourself in the last, say, year that has been the most um, eye-opening or impactful to help you continually grow and develop? Anything come up? In the last year, um, 
Well, I think I'm uh, I'm a lot calmer than maybe I was before. Um, I'm sl- I, I operate at a slower pace, uh, and that's important for me. Um, I think you know running around like a headless chicken, trying to get too many things done, trying to reach a particular place that you have set you have set on uh, before you're ready um, can be detrimental. So I'm. I'm a lot slower these days. There's, there's less less of an importance of uh, packing in so much, and um, it's it's far more enjoyable because you don't see too much when you're moving fast, you know. Mm. Um, I think there's a time and a place to move fast, but uh, that nearly has to happen. Like if, like I said, if you're if you're engaged in something really you're you're really passionate about, you'll speed up. You know when you need to speed up, you'll feel it. Um, but I think the importance of taking it easy and, and being slow and methodical about what you do is vital. You know, that's that's what I've, it's kind of come to light for me in the last 12 months. So, Do you think that is a matter of just timing in that it's just found its way and now is the time that this is the way Larry is or, or is there anything you did to get there, do you think? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a culmination of so many things. I just, I just couldn't put my finger on it. It's, right. it's every, it's everything. Uh, it's it's making a bags of uh, work. It's it's making a making a bags of relationships. Maybe making poor decisions. You just figure this stuff out, and and it's it's a it's a process. And and I think it's important as well to realise that uh, processes are only obvious with retrospect, um, and they're only obvious by looking at what other people but what other people have done. And when we look at what other people have done, we miss so much because. Um, systematically in a linear uh, process breaking down what someone has done in order to achieve success is is unrealistic because that success occurred in so many different ways that we can, we will never be privy to and we can only maybe take a tip from what that person have done has done and something maybe that that has, person has done and add it to our own mix because uh, what you did Rob to achieve success whatever success is for you won't necessarily apply to me or anybody else it might but i think it's naive for you and me to re- to expect someone else's process to apply to us and for it to work out the way we want because it's just not i think everything is so individual and everyone's experience is is is, is valid uh and it takes us on the path that it, that it takes us and uh i think we only learned that by virtue of trying you know and, and getting stuck in and having a bit of fun on the way you know very good perfect larry look that that's been really interesting i enjoyed our, our connection at, at long last um i normally give folks the last minute or two to just call out the the good work they're doing how folks can get in touch and maybe a little bit more about the the artist manifesto um so yeah i, I write regularly uh, a newsletter at larry g mcguire.com uh, it goes out on sundays i have to ping it out now when i go off to college <laughs> Uh, and uh, so LarryGMcGuire.com is my site. Um, uh, podcast is called The Larb, L-A-R-B, The Larb. It's available on iTunes and Spreaker and all good podcast platforms. And uh, at LarryGMcGuire is my Twitter handle. You'll get me on there too. Brilliant. Oh, uh, the book I should mention. Yes. Yeah, I mentioned it in there a few times. Uh, the Artist Manifesto is, is the book I'm working on right now. It's due out on the 15th of October. And uh, it's a creative philosophy for life and work. And uh, please do check it out. 
Brilliant. I'm looking forward to uh, getting uh, a copy and reading over it. Um, always fascinating to, to take new insights from different people and uh, I'm sure that'll be the same as well, Larry. So thanks a million for doing this. I know we uh, took a while to get our video set up and hopefully we'll put that on online as well. This podcast will go out uh, later this evening as well. So hopefully get some feedback on it over the next few days and keep in touch. Great. Thanks for thanks for the opportunity and, and uh, we finally managed to hook up. So that was good. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Larry. Bye, Rob. Thanks a million. Take care. So how did you find it? A good show? Hopefully, do take a second or two to let me know. And before you do, dive off just a couple of quick call-outs. The new podcast, the 864, 15 minutes long, in fact, 864 seconds is the aspiration, is now out and ready for listening. Check it out on the site. Go to the podcast page. There's a link for 864 there. Or go on to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. That would be awesome. The 864 is all you have to search for. And it's in all other podcast platforms that you can think of or should be. So, have a listen. Every week I release a One Minute Monday video clip, which is also a tip to hopefully make you 1% better. Check that out. It's on the website on the video page. Did you also know that only about 1% of listeners to podcasts, not just my own, but all, leave a rating, leave a review, get in touch or give feedback. And I would love if we could book that trend and put it to 2% for this one. So please do take the time to give me a bit of feedback, give me some ideas about future guests or whatever the hell comes into mind just get in touch or rate or review the podcast on apple that helps i'm available at all of the social platforms pretty much all at rob of the green that's either with or without the at sign but you'll find it under that moniker so hopefully i'll hear from you there last couple of quick ones support so i do offer some pro bono coaching get onto the website the support page to get in touch few hours a month happy to do that and if you would like to support the podcast that would be awesome you can do so through patreon and also through purchasing books through the book page on the website that goes through amazon and we get a little percentage i'm not even sure what but it's something and finally just to say thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast i know there's lots of other shows out there it means a lot that you're checking this one out so have a great rest of day week month year whatever it may be and Hopefully you're getting 1% better as a result of these shows. Take care and good luck.